Hey, let's go, let's go. Just stop where you are. I know it's, uh, we're a little discombobulated because of all the things that are happening. Just stop where you are. We'll pray, and then we will sort it out. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who from your mercy spared not your only Son, but gave him up for us into the cross, we beg you now, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may be thoroughly comforted by his grace. Be on guard against sin and patiently bear whatever you send us to suffer, that through him we may live forever with you. Amen. Amen. There are a zillion things to talk about. Plus, I, gotta, I really have to try to stop early because otherwise we get lost uh, going in for the... It was nice to have so many kids that we couldn't get in this morning, but <laughs> we have so many kids we couldn't get in this morning. <laughs> I mean, we're going to change in the next... Third. From now on, the kids are going to walk behind us and they can do whatever they want. If they go to the popcorn shop with a palm, we don't care, actually, okay? <laughs> So, I mean, it's nice to so many of them. And, and, of course, there's always, you know, some who re- rebel and go the other way or start to cry. What, it doesn't make any difference. It's really good. All right, I got so many things to talk to you about. These are all just the preliminary engagements. Uh, Peter, don't forget to come early next week. So this is the law to make sure you get a seat. And this is the gospel to hear the play- prelude with the orchestra. So next week you should come. Next, um... A very few of you showed me how much you love me by answering that fake email you got from me. So somebody created an email in my account on gmail.com. Now, here's the, here's the thing. You know, we're um, stjohn.org. This was gmail.com. A few of you, um, Mike, it doesn't look like my address book was compromised, but somehow, some, somewhere, so a few of you, hey, here's here, just some little safety tip for Palm Sunday. If you have money, go ahead and put it directly into the offering basket. You don't have to go to Walgreens and buy Apple or eBay cards and give them to me. I mean, if you've got money to give away, just, just never give me any money, okay? Just go ahead and put it right into the plate directly. Okay? Did anybody else? I know a few of you got it. Anybody else? It was a very strange lot of people. I think it might have been Tuesday Night Poker Club that got this, so I think it wasn't my. I mean, there were some very interesting people. There was one in England and then... Marge, who knows what you're doing during the week? Uh, you know, so anyway, that wasn't really me. Uh, you should know, I mean, the tell is, I, it, it was all caps in the, I, like, I would never all cap you. That's like, welcome back, Hex, it's nice to see you. You know, it's just like, okay. So just look for the tells, look for the tells. Um, so every, every, not tomorrow. So this is, this is Sunday. So Monday, we're closed tomorrow. <laughs> snowed out. But then during the week, uh, 5.30 every night, 5.30 every night, there'll be private uh, absolution. If you want to come to the back, you know, wander in. If somebody else is there, just, you know, hang back a little bit and come at your time. So that's really good. And then the triduum, as you know, these, this one service over three days. So you're going to come on Thursday and receive the Holy Supper. Then the altar will be stripped right? And then it'll go quiet, but there's no benediction, right? Friday just picks up where we left off as if nothing happened, right? As if you went home and had dinner and slept and came back, and the service just picks right up and again, right? You don't get your final uh, blessing until Jesus emerges from the tomb at the vigil. So those are three services, three days, but it's really one thing. So anyway, that's next week, and you know that. The following week... um, at this time, so on the 28th, in this hour, is the first voters' meeting, which is basically a presentation of the spending guide and taking questions. So 
should be an easy thing, but come along. Uh, you've been very generous this year, but kind of keep on, you know, still always the giving is kind of up and down, but you're actually very generous. And uh, just, you know, check yourself. It's nice when I can just say, just check yourself, check your giving. Um, you allow us to do all kinds of really wonderful things and take care of the vicar and take care of people who come in. Just, you know, it's just really good. So anyway, just check where you are, keep going, okay? Um, questions about anything non-theological? Just questions about anything in the week? And then we'll start to do a little bit of theology. Nothing? Okay. You could feel free to interrupt me. I know, um, oh, the baskets. Because nobody told me what to do, so I don't know what to do. Kirby trained me well for being a pastor because... What? Because you tell me what to do. What? <laughs> Come on, nobody told me what to do, so I'm kind of lost here. Let's give money to somebody. Who's in charge of this? Betsy? Teaching? Out of town? It's funny how people just come and go. I don't know, where do you want to give money? Anybody got a good idea? Go to the soup kitchen. They always need money. Okay, so the soup kitchen just put it in there. Okay, good. Anything else? So then I just want to talk about your Lent a little bit. So the last two weeks have been a bit heavier in here, and that's all right. But then there should always be, you know, you need to sort of come out of it. Now, I myself was, you know, have had a strange Lent up and down, you know, some, ter- some even, you know, night terrors. I dreamt of vampires a few weeks ago all night long. And then, you know, the only thing worse was last night where I came in, I dreamt of today that we had, I came in and, the music was really weird, so I'm like, what in the world? I look up, and Nathan's not on the bench. So I'm like, okay, okay. Then for whatever reason, Pastor Nelson and I are sitting in the front row, and the pastor that we'd invited in to preach decides he's going to act out the gospel rather than... <laughs> now, you can see how compared to this, vampires are nothing for me. And I, I'm fine now. I go like this. So, yeah, suddenly, I'm like, yeah, exactly. I go like this to Nelson. I said you got a sermon up your sleeve? He says, as a matter of fact, I do. He grabs a Bible, he goes right to the pulpit, and I'm like, Nelson, my Savior. So there you go. That's the kind of Lent that I've had. You see how the devil can attack, right? So, but you also have to see, you know, not to make light of what you've been through, but this is one of the things missing in American society. Even with comedy, you know, when you laugh at things, it means you're getting over them, right? Well, you can laugh at it. You're, you're beginning to heal. When you can make fun of something, right? So... I know that many of you had very challenging lengths, and I know that some of you have had, you know, great difficulties over the time. Hang in there. It was a brilliant sermon this morning. You know, it was just a brilliant exposition of how kind God is to us, and, and you know, even when we're not faithful, he's really faithful. It was great. Just stick in there. It's all going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Come to church this week. Carry on. It's all going to be fine. Okay? Questions about any of that? Okay, then I want to give you two things to think about, which I think will clean up a lot of what, we, what I'm going to do today. What I'm going to give you today, or these next two things, are even disputed a little bit of among Lutherans, but they're wrong. So, and, uh, you know, what I'm going to give you is, um, you know, stuff I learned from uh, Norman Nagel, and anybody who paid attention to him got light years ahead of um, everything else. Just two very simple things. You're going to be completely fine. All I want you to think about is how you think about God. It's very simple. And this is true for pastors, too. Um, Is your natural default that God is angry or that God is unbelievably merciful? Now, you, and we do, and you're right, we would, we would live and die by this, that, that God is merciful, but I 
when there's a theological problem, almost always you can trace it back to this. This is going to be important for the thing that we do in the end today, which is how you treat other people, how Jesus treats other people, how we're meant to move through. Because what you're going to decide, or what the, the temptation by the time we get done today, is that you think, I'm being soft and Jesus is being soft, and you just want people to get straightened out. That's this. God will be your enemy only if you force him to be your enemy. If you make him be your enemy, if you make him, okay, he'll finally concede at some point and be your enemy. But Jesus is not a violent person, and Jesus is nobody's enemy, and this week is the ultimate proof of that. From when he doesn't react when he's being ridiculed or being beaten to praying for people when they're putting nails through his hands to when somebody is ridiculed him as he dies, he turns to another man and says, um, I would love to be your friend. I'll see you today in paradise. Really, you can cure a ton of things by whether you, when you think about God's heart, God's default toward people, God's default, not just toward you, because we all like the merciful God toward ourselves, but toward your greatest enemy. Just so you know, God's default is mercy. And this is why when you pray for your enemies, you can pray that the Lord will sort them out in a merciful way. Because you're just asking him to be the God who's revealed himself to us. Pause. You okay? I feel very strongly about this, as you can tell. Because this is the God of, of Jesus. This is the God of every good story in the scriptures. This is the God who does everything from Eden to Noah's Ark to the Promised Land to the Passover to Christ on the cross. Those icons or pictures that you see where Jesus' heart is exposed, pierced, and bleeding. Right? What's he trying to say? It's the way you are when you're a parent and your kids go off the rails. Your heart bleeds for other people. You have a good friend who suffers. You know, your heart is just pierced with the pain of that, and yet you would do anything for them. Right? Well, you hold on to that and see if you still like it by the end of today. Here's the other thing, and this is even more difficult, and this is a hard thing for... Um, this is a hard thing even for pastors, and it's a shame because this would solve so many of our problems. Um, God speaks words, or as sometimes it's fun to say, the word incarnate speaks words. I'll give you the answer in a story. Do you know we're on record pace? I just read it again this morning. We're on record pace. For people falling into the Grand Canyon, do you know this? Already, three or four people have fallen to their death in the Grand Canyon, right? So, and it was so great because how are they normally falling in? What are they doing? Taking a selfie, that's right, which explains everything you need to know about the human heart, right? (laughs) So you have, uh, and this morning, you know, they they went to one of the guys, one of the guys in the Smokey the Bear hats, and they said, what are you going to do about it? And he said... We can't do anything else about it. He said, we can't issue enough warnings and put up enough signs to keep people from crossing. We just can't do it. We, 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 we just can't do it. So one after a number, number. So now I just ask you this line right here. Careful now, because this is a trick question, and you are being recorded. Um, <laughs> 
Is that line the law or the gospel? Both. Big show-offs. Okay, good. <laughs> now, here's the thing. So, both, okay, fine, since you've apparently heard this lecture before. Uh, but when the Lord... See, and this is going to just like, for you who are hard-nosed Lutherans and learned from an 1850s catechism, everything's going to go upside down right now. <laughs> Try to put your head between your knees and do this so the crystals in your ears go back and you don't lose your vertigo. God, who is merciful, if you have to say, when he speaks it, does he intend it as the law or the gospel? Pause. Yeah, I'm going to go. Here's the line. Here's the sign. There's death. I'm here. Don't cross. Don't even think about crossing. The guy in the hat's going, don't cross. Don't, don't, don't cross. As you're doing this and this at the same time. <laughs> is that the law or the gospel? That is the gospel. I'm your God, and I really love you. Here's my name in case you want to say your prayers. Once a week. We'll get together so I can bless you and so you don't get lonely. When you go home, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be faithful to your spouse. Love your children. Love your parents. And everything is going to be wonderful. Is that the law of the gospel? Yeah, it's a gospel. It's intended as a God who is merciful to give you a gift like Eden, which is where the story starts. And when you, if you insist on being cast out into death, you know, okay, but you're not only stupid, you're also weak, miserable sinner. We said that this morning, right? So try to think this way, not just about yourselves, about yourselves. It's going to be fine. You're going to go home, sit on the couch, crack a beer, look outside and say, it's going to be 70 on Tuesday. I'm not shoveling. I'm great. That's what you're going to say today, okay? And the reason you can say that is because you think God loves you and he's put you on Eden, otherwise known as your couch with a remote and nobody challenging you, right? And only if you give in to a foreign voice. Did God really say you'd be a better God than God? God didn't really mean it. Why does God wait so long? And all the other variations of, I think I'll cross, right? Every word can be used two ways, a law and a gospel way. For you who are taking notes, there was no law in Eden. There was just the word, logos, who from eternity spoke words. These words were merciful and gracious, only blessing. And even when the word said, do not, do not eat from that tree because it will poison you, that's a gospel word. Do not cross because it's 400 feet down into the scrub. And we keep finding people here. It's crazy talk to think that that's a bad thing. By the way, just so you're, just so you, I just want to make sure that, you are, that I am in no way, that these words are holy over here and they're holy over here. The words of God are always holy. Sometimes people think there's this code word called antinomium where they think you don't really like rules and you don't think the law. No. God is holy, and he's revealing holiness to you. He's telling you how your life can be brilliant, how you can live together, how life can be wonderful with your friends, with your family, and with God himself, right? He intends for you to live in Eden, 
right? And someday you'll be taken home. If you insist on this, then you can have it because human beings have a free will. If you insist on this, if you insist on dying, God will say to you, I'll let you have your way regretfully. But that is not God's will. And his anger only burns against people because holiness um, on this side of the line is anger. Not because anger is a characteristic of God. God is love. Literally, God is love. That's the scriptures. God's entire heart is consumed with love for people. Every story you read, the prodigal son, Jesus at the well, Jesus touching the leper, Jesus celebrating Passover, Jesus on the cross, every one of those stories, the primary thrust is that God is love. Now, here's the thing. We all like it for ourselves. But the point is for you to deliver that to other people. And that largely over the past 20 years has been what's made this place different than every place else. If you default here, then all is well. And if you're willing now, remember where you've been, to take the gifts from here and give them to people here and pull them up. Or if you're willing to take the gifts from here, I'm sorry, I should do it the other way. If you're willing to take these people here and carry them across here and put them here, or if you just want to think about it, you carry them across the line with your prayers that's the will of Jesus. Now, the we, I'm going to come right to you one more thing. The reason people freak out about this is because what in the world is going to happen if everybody acts like this, right? We're going there in a little bit. Yes, friend. The world's counterpoint to the God-angry mercy. This is the problem I have when I have these discussions with, with acquaintances. If I focus on the New Testament, absolutely don't focus on the New Testament. Right. I've probably read articles like this, and I certainly get it when I talk to people. Well, God is angry. Look, he, he uh, you know, with Elijah, you know, the, the kids were taunting him for being called. I love that story. First story, I, when I teach confirmation, it's the first story I tell. You know the story, right? Right at the beginning of 2 Kings. They, they say to, what do they say to Elijah. Old baldy, old baldy. And what does he do? He has the bears come out of the woods and eat the children. That's my very first confirmation <laughs> lesson every time I teach. You're right. Yeah, right. They decided to live on this side of the line. Oh, let me just say, right? This is down here is where the grizzly bears are, right? And taunting your pastor, it's all way down here, right? And eating from the tree that they shouldn't eat from. Yeah, so point taken. Any of Again, we can all cite the Old Testament stories right. of, of, of what appears to be an angry God. Right. And so yeah, it's hard to counter that type of argument, arguing in the Old Testament. I think you can, I think if you, um, I know you and you know enough stories. So what my simple suggestion to you would be to tell the story before the story. Right? The very first story in the Old Testament is Eden. Right? And... Before every one of the angry stories, you have people who cross this line. Pick one. It doesn't matter which one it is. In every story, in every one of those stories, they've moved here where God says, 
Nobody's meant to be here. He doesn't take delight in the death of anyone. He comes that all men would be saved. This is all over the Old Testament, right? Even the foreigners, the Gentiles, come in and they sit at the table. We always read from Isaiah when people die here. On this holy mountain, I will... And you know who's coming? The Gentiles, right? So in that case, I would just find that story. In this case of the bears, I would just flip back into 1 Kings, and you will find that, for example, the, that's right after... Um, Elisha, Elijah has said to God, I'm done, kill me. And then God says, sends an angel and says, you should eat something. And then he says, um, you know, if you want your severance, then you have to train your next, you have to train your replacement. And so what happens? What, Elisha comes and Elijah trains him and then off to heaven he goes. And so always my advice, practical advice is go one story back. Go one story back and you will find, go one story back to the story on this side of the line, Right? This is very practical, and it's, the reason that's such a good question is because acquaintances at work are one thing, right? Family members at Christmas, you know? <laughs> you know, you sit down on Thanksgiving and says, you know, why don't you explain this to me, Pastor, right? Or if I wear a collar on an airplane. So there's two choices. I can wear a collar on an airplane and get no sleep, <laughs> or I cannot wear a collar, turn in those drink tickets for free, have a couple of beers, and watch on my iPad free TV, you know what I'm going to do, right? So just, just move back one story. It's easy to do it theoretically. Everybody's easy to love in theory. But in reality, to love other people, and especially to love the people who are closest to us that have hurt us, that usually has to do with spouses and children and parents, siblings, right? If you can just keep this in your head... If you want to be in the image of God, God's image is mercy. God's image is not anger. God's image is mercy. God is love. The heart of God is pulsing mercy. This week is proof of that. And God's will is that everybody's on this side. And when he says, don't do that, it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. Because over here, this has not gone well for people, apparently, since the 1st of January at Yellowstone. Still okay? If you can just keep these two things straight, the default is mercy and God only wants your best. And when he speaks, if you receive these words, they will bless you. If you deny these words, eventually, at some point, God will let you have your way. And so what I've often said to you is hell is when God lets you have your way forever. You know, God's not to blame for hell. God has let, everybody gets to have their way. You are more in control, people are more in control than they know. So, you know, it's unfair um, to blame God for that. Um, his, what he wants is all of his children home again. You all right? Still you okay? You know, you're a nice person. How are you? I get Jen Cole was in my very first new members class. And along with Brenda Douglas. Yes. This is beautiful. Yes, my friend. Who's the dad parents to my children? They're nice people, those sunglasses. Yes, they are. Anywho, the bottom half of the line. Yeah, right. That's not an absolute. I mean, you said at some point, God will let you have your way. We really don't know what that point is, right? Yeah, I mean, I've never said, and I, this always makes me nervous when pastors do this, I've never said that anybody went to hell. I've said a lot of people go to heaven. You've got to know an awful lot to say that a person goes to hell. And, of course, um, 
there's a long history of the church of people being pulled out of this. In fact, if we really believe in original sin, we believe the people start here. That's why we have an exorcism, and then we have a baptism. We talk about crossing over, right? Yeah, I think we've got to be very careful about, well, first, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I, the Lord your God, am a judge, right? Which doesn't seem to qualify any of us because, you know, we're, we, we tend to root up here, especially against the, this is just sidebar. This is why um, the politics of anger in America are so difficult because this is natural and extraordinarily difficult to control, and you end up killing your enemies. At some point, you kill your enemies if you're only motivated by anger. Everybody knows, I mean, forever we've known anger is a passion which is difficult. So we have crimes of passion, right? And to stimulate people by their anger, to say, stay angry or keep angry, is horrible advice. That's from people who are trying to gain power, not people who care about the people next to them. This is, this is how genocide starts. This is how people get killed in the streets, right? You want to be here. You want to be here. And the great thing, Jen, is that you're never, ever in your whole life, never, there's never a point where you have to make that call. You don't know enough. You don't know enough to make that call. This is a little like the criticism of these people aren't sincere in the liturgy, these people aren't sincere in the prayers. How would you even know? How, how do you know? How do I know what other people go through? One of the, you remember this thing, the church fathers say, a confessor has to have a thousand ears and a thousand eyes. Why is that? Because it's very difficult to discern what's happening inside other people, what their motivations are, where they want to go, what they're suffering, right? So if we sort of blithely say about people, to hell with you, you're not, you are not doing the will of God. You are not, right? And you need not do it. absolute is that God is love. And then it is true to say that if you make God damn you, he will let you have your way. But there's a, there's a lot of distance between those two things, and the second one doesn't belong to us. So even the question is somewhat illicit. In fact, so I'd sort of push you back to I push you back to, part of the reason is we just don't know, but part of it is, what good would it be for us to know? How is that helpful? Of course, so in the stuff that you've described, which is very difficult, the range is from, here, here are better questions. How do we lovingly have laws 
that protect children, for example? Or how do we properly punish people who do such things? Or what does it look like? Um, what do imitation messiahs look like? And what would be the distinguishing mark of Jesus? Now we're back to where we started, which is the distinguishing mark of Jesus is love. So the little bit I know about Scientology is the notorious manipulation of people from finance to action to marriage to a range of things, right? You sort of ask yourself, does manipulation look like power and anger or does manipulation look like freedom and mercy? So we can ask those sorts of questions, but, um, you know, and I've had... You know, I've had people in new members class who are, you know, like if Hitler had a chance to not go to hell, then I'm not joining this church. I mean, they're kind of that blatant about it. But, I mean, see, already you've stepped way outside where you're meant to be. It just, your task is not sorting the sheep and the goats. That very much belongs to Jesus. He does say, all Christians will sort with me, but just let me say, you can't bring your own grid along. He will, he will provide the answer sheet, Okay. <laughs> Those, it's like those special glasses you used to get on the back of Captain Crunch that when you put them on, they were blue, and you could see what was really happening. It will be like that. <laughs> but you see how easily this comes to us, right? And it, we're, we're just drawn to this. Well, the problem with this, of course, is that um, you start, it starts getting easy, and you start thinking your whole life is about straightening other people out and telling people that they're wrong and excluding people, and suddenly what's happened to you? You're a sect. And even Jesus doesn't recognize you. He's miserable. Look, keep it extraordinarily simple. Mercy is the heart of God. He's only your enemy if you force him to be your enemy. In his mercy, he tells you what holiness looks like. Everybody crosses this line. That's called stupid. Okay? But um, in confession, we're always pulled back, right? So you pray for people, they'd be pulled back. You baptize people back into this. You love people back into this. Jesus does not put judgment into our hands. He just doesn't because we're horrible at it. You remember way back when we started, I said um, no, no evil can be done in prayer. So prayer only does good, right? And behind that was John Kleinig's really interesting thing where he says, he looks at her all in you and he says, how can I do good through these people? Because God knows what's in your hearts. And he knows that if he gives you power, you will, on some rare occasions, like the guy who took the girl, you're going to execute that power mercilessly and incorrectly. Okay? So what is it given to you to do? It is given to you to say your prayers. Now, also in a civilized society, there are people who are trained to execute such power within particular parameters, which we would call justice. And that is a holy thing. But when we muddle this all together and it's about what we're going to do to people, it, I mean, it's just not there. You just, can't, you just can't get it out. And when you do it, you become... This closed unit, it's, 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 it's brainwashing, it's sectarian, it is nobody's good but us, it's everybody is out. There's no way to pull people in. So with your prayers, this is all the way back to where we're going, with your prayers, you're taking Jesus' gifts to people, or you're taking people to Jesus' gifts. Boom, 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 boom. That's your job. Do your job, that's your job. Okay? 
Yes. I always think of the thief on the cross. Um, he'd never been a Christian, and God forgave him, and he right. knew what it was in his heart. I don't right. think the thief just said the words. I think it was in his heart. Well, Jesus put it in his heart. So he says, you know, he tells them, um, I love you, basically. Hey, today, today, you can live on this side of the line. Hey, today I'll pull you over the line. It was the ultimate act of love. When he could have said, hey, I'm good, but you guys, right? Yeah, right, so we're going to stop it. Okay, so here's the thing. I just want you to turn the page. We do have to look, and, and part of this is, you know, I talked a little bit about our kids falling away and family members falling away. Um, what am I going to do now? I got no idea what I'm going to do because I actually think this is important for you. Look at, um, at number 12. I did say to you, we make lists of people to pray, and I would encourage you to do this, that you begin to make lists of people to pray for. This is also going to probably go with many of you to, you're probably going to have to set the alarm on your phone for one or two or three times a day, and when it goes off, you're going to have to drop what you do and say your prayers. Because what will happen, if you actually love people enough to list them and what they're, like take the prayers, we talked about the prayers that we pray. If you actually love people enough to list them and say, I'm going to pray for these people, if you promise somebody that you're going to pray for them, you probably should write it down and make a list and bring it. I know some people, uh, well, famous theologian Herman Sasse used to keep pictures of people and pray by image. And, of course, this is very powerful if you have a picture of somebody whom you love or whom you hate. Immediately it all comes to mind. You don't have to work at it very hard at all, but do you want to remember how you would pray for them? But I do want to give you, um, I'm going to do this last piece, which I think is brilliant. Turn two pages, and this is from Norman Nagel, who was the best theologian I've ever met in my entire life, bar none. And... This is a brilliant little bit. I just, I, I've told you everything I want to tell you, so I just want to read it to you. It starts with, whenever we do anything, merely because we have to. You have that? So the law is what we have to do, what we've got to do. The gospel is what we get to do or what God gives to us. Whenever we do anything because we have to, by compulsion, we are not acting as free sons and daughters of the kingdom. If we pay taxes or tithe, or give alms, or be kind, because we'll go to jail if we don't. We act as slaves. This is so important. We act as slaves, and we'll become bitter. We act as slaves, and not as God's free children. Not as Peter and Jesus did when they paid their taxes together. You remember this? The tax man came. They're like, hey, we need some cash. Jesus like, catch a fish, and he catches the fish, and there's a coin in the fish mouth. He's like, give it to the tax man so we can keep fishing. It's a beautiful kind of funny, weird story, but it's just, a, it's, I mean, Jesus laughing at the tax man. Yeah, I can, I can pay the taxes. Does it do today? Because we can catch another fish, if, you know. The motive of Christian action is not force or anger, but love. This, this is absolute. We live from the gospel and not from the law. This isn't diminish the law. It doesn't mean it's not important, but we live from the gospel, from love from the gifts, from the Holy Spirit. Christ never gets behind his friends with a sword or a whip. Never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever. Okay? So if you're acting out of compulsion, um, you need a little tune-up. He gets inside them with his love, 
a love that makes us free to want and achieve what God wants and plans. If you could, the last 20 years here with you has been one long action of watching you want what Jesus wants, of Jesus getting inside you and asking you, motivating you to do good. Therefore, Jesus goes to Gethsemane and moves toward the cross, not at the point of a sword, but moved by the love of God and the love of us. Willingly this I suffer. Love alone wins any worthwhile victory. You can drag your kid to church by the ear if you want. You can. And as soon as he's old enough to drive or sneak away from Sunday school or punch in the nose, join the Marines, you'll never see him again. Love alone wins any worthwhile victory. The other victories are not worthwhile. And to do this, it must be willing to forego force and to suffer. That's this week. When a man strikes you with his fist or with his tongue and you strike him back, you've been defeated by him. KD last night with that little Barkley guy. His enmity, you've got to watch more basketball, basketball's life, has won. Sean Livingston just gave a million dollars to Peoria Lutheran to, buy, to build a new gym. You know he went to Peoria Lutheran. Got drafted out of high school in the NBA. You know this, right? No. Yeah, when you watch the makes you a Warriors fan just like that. So when you strike back, you've been defeated by him. His enmity has won the engagement. The enmity is double, which is he hates you and you hated him back. Boom. If he strikes you and you do not retaliate, then enmity remains single and a little discomforted. By refusing to be made into his enemy, you've taken the first step. The first step, so important, it's not a, the first step toward love's victory of cleansing his heart of malice and making him your friend. This is why Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He's going to hit you twice, and then he's going to hit you again. The sin that sets us against each other is overcome. Only love can overcome sins, though it often means suffering long. The overcoming of sin that divided us from God cost Calvary. Because it was love's victory, it, is achieve, it achieved the true victory, not merely one of external appearances or external force, which is the best that force can do. Now, before you think it's just God gone soft, at times there's nothing left to us but the use of force. But when we use force, it is the acknowledgement of the failure of love. Only when love has exhausted its possibilities do we reluctantly resort to force. To protect things from getting worse, it can be necessary, but negative achievement Positive good is the work of love. All our good hangs on Jesus going to Calvary. Does no sword spell defeat? Through Lent, we follow along with Jesus, his way to be our Savior. But are we following ever closer and slipping from his way to something more reliable? Force is reliable. You can see the results. Vengeance exposes itself. It satisfies. Love is difficult because sometimes you die and you never see it. You can't see what the Lord did with your life. You can't see how your kids are going to turn out. You don't know what your friends are going to do. You don't know what your church is going to be like in 20 years because a good share, you're going to be dead. Love people anyway. This is Jesus. People who tell you otherwise are telling you something that is anti-Christ. This is Jesus. This is the heart of God. This is the purpose of the church. This is what's true. This is what's holy. This is what you pray for. Right? 
and you're the proof that it actually works. All right, church. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, love you. Keep the week. See you all week long. And then Sunday.